what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am with the Foot Candle Film Society, and with me is also from the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival that's put on every year is Chris Fry. Chris, how you doing, man? I am doing well. I am really happy to be back talking about movies. Excited that we're getting more movies, you know, back in theaters, returning to the theater. It just seems like, you know, knock on wood, things are kind of back to the way they should be, yeah. where like you have movies, you know, rolling out. So uh, excited Mark about this, because now Chris has officially jinxed us. <laughs> no, I said knock on wood. <laughs> so, but yeah, I know. No, I hope so too. I hope so too. And we do have a, a couple of big films to be talking about today on the show. This is our ongoing podcast where we review new films that are out in theaters or online for streaming. We also share some movie news along the way, which we do have a few news items to share later in the show. And at the end of the episode, we each give a recommendation of a film that we recently either caught back up with, got to see for the first time, uh, enjoyed online, and we'd like to recommend it to you to consider. So today, Chris, we're going to be talking about uh, two two fairly big movies, although one's doing a lot better financially than the other. Uh, first up, we'll be talking Dune. This is the latest uh, iteration of the story of Dune as told by director Denis Villeneuve, and we'll be discussing that film. Then we'll be following that up with a discussion of Edgar Wright's new film, Last Night in Soho, written and directed by Edgar Wright, starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomason McKenzie. So we've got two great films to be discussing here, Chris. You ready to go ahead and jump into our first one? Let's do it. All right. Let's talk about the film Dune. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? This adaptation of Dune has been long delayed, uh, but we've finally gotten to see it. It's uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who gave us, amongst other things, he gave us Arrival, which was a science fiction film that was original. He wasn't adapting anything. It was original to him and um, had Amy Adams. And I think Alan and I are on record as both liking it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and he's, he did Blade Runner as well. Nice. So he's really well known for that, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yes. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's kind of got a, kind of got a good track record with this, obviously, as Alan mentioned in the intro, he is adapting something. Um, now I'm curious, Alan, you know, a lot of times on the show, 
you know, things come from books. You haven't read it. I have, or, you know, I think this, <laughs> that this, was a good generalization. Chris has read things. Alan has not, well, which is like, true. Alan, I mean, Alan does not read much. I, that's no, not, I, know you do, I know you do read, <laughs> but you don't really go after like right. novels and stuff. Yeah. So this has two sources that you may be familiar with it. One is a David Lynch film that he made in 1984, although he would not claim it, but star, starring Kyle McLaughlin and Sting in a little skimpy Speedo jumping around waving a knife. Yes. Have you seen that film? I have. Okay. It's been a very, very long time. So do you remember anything from I that? remember it enough. I mean, I was pretty young when I saw it, but I remember not understanding a single thing going on and generally not enjoying it. So, yes. Okay. So, okay, interesting. So mm-hmm. you do barely remember, but not barely. enjoying it. Okay. Yes. And here's the here's the softball question, which I kind of know the answer to. Um, had you read the novel, Dan? No. Okay. So, it's, uh, so for me, I had read the book, and I did not like it, which probably mm-hmm. means we're going to get a lot of hate mail. I will get a lot of hate mail because people will be like, oh, you know, it's such a classic. How you know? I just, I thought it was really dry and kind of boring. Now, I had seen the Dune book or the Dune movie before I'd read the book. Mm-hmm. And I don't say I understood it all, but I'm a big David Lynch fan. I thought it was weird. I wouldn't say everything worked in the movie, but it's interesting enough for me to have seen it a couple of times. Okay. So not a perfect movie. So that brings us to the 2021 version of Dune. Alan, what was your overall impression of Dune? Did it improve upon your experience from the 1984 version mm-hmm. of Dune that you had seen? Well, yeah, absolutely. It didn't take much for that to happen in general. <laughs> okay. I, uh, um, I, I do. I have liked almost all of Villeneuve's previous work. Okay. So that was setting up for something where I felt like I at least could come out of this with a very uh, visually interesting film. Mm-hmm. My question was going to be, did the storytelling hold up? Because I know it's a very dense story. Um, this is a part one, which I think, you know, we're not spoiling anything. I think it's really important, actually. We're doing more of a preventative ma- measure here by letting people know it is a part one. So mm-hmm. there are going to be some criticisms that it's not truly a complete story that you're seeing in this one singular film. And I knew that going in, which was good because I think I would have been very disheartened if I had not realized that at the end. Um, I did like this a lot. Um, I think it works on just about every level it needed to work on the story. Although still complex is no more the way it was told in this film is no more complex than a lot of sci-fi films made these days. So it is a complex film. It does require a lot of yeah, kind of thinking through who, who the people are, who the players are, who the different camps and groups and planets are. But it, it was never overbearing. It never got to the point where I just kind of mentally gave up and said, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, and visually, even if the story had been even, even more muddled, um, the visuals made up for it for me. I hmm. this is, Dune is not a movie I expected to go in to see a lot of great acting and character development. You kind of go in wanting to see the spectacle of the story and how well it's told. And in that it works. Gotcha. I thought the acting was all really good. Okay. But I don't think the acting, I don't feel like any of the performances were such standout that made the movie better than it was. It was all down to how you're telling the story visually how you're doing it in a way where you can still follow the characters you need to follow and understand the dynamics of what's happening and knowing that, yes, you are going to be building to a conclusion. That's not a satisfying conclusion yet for anybody. (laughs) Um, 
Right. All of that being told, I think the movie works. I think it works really well. Uh, I, I find myself wanting to go back and revisit it again, which I haven't had a chance to do yet, but I do plan to do. Um, so yes, I liked it. I think <laughs> I think it worked. I, I enjoyed all aspects of it. So okay. Chris, you obviously have a much richer history with the film, with the, the franchise than I do or the story. So tell me, how, how, did, how did you feel about this one? So, you know, I, I like you. I did know. I didn't know this maybe like several months ago that it was going to be two parts. It was only when the film, I guess, got close to coming out, and I guess critics have seen it, people have seen it fest are like, "Oh, hey, by the way, this is just part one." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I am gl- really glad that I knew that going in because I think I'd have been like, yeah, I'd have been cranky, really cranky, <laughs> walking out of this if I hadn't known it was you know part one. Um, that being said, um, I did like the film, mm-hmm. but probably about halfway through it i just i felt like and you know the illusion works because we're talking about dune i felt like we were walking through sand really slowly hmm. and it just like there were interesting things the visuals were good but i guess because i had prior no- knowledge of the story yeah and i'd seen it you know both through reading it and you know seeing a filmed version of it i just felt like I, I felt like it was slow for no other reason than to make break it into two parts. And um, that was frustrating to me because I felt like it could have been achieved in one movie. Now, I will say, that being said, I am interested to see what he does for, I assume, at least two hours <laughs> in Doom Part 2 because I had had enough distance from the book and from the movie. There were things in this film that I, I'm not going to spoil anything but there were certain people that um, died <laughs> that mm-hmm. I don't really remember. And there again, it's been so, so I was like, oh, oh, like certain things that happened that mm-hmm. were interesting to me. So to, to carry out an entire second movie without some of these figures, that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am interested to see the sequel, but you, you know, getting back to things I like. So it wasn't, I'm, I don't think I'm as high on it as you maybe mm-hmm. because I felt like it was drawn out. But the number one thing that I came away with was, yeah, the production design, the the effects using spaceships and all that, and the enormity of them, and just everything just really, really, really worked. And um, I think I was critical. I did have a chance because this film was released on HBO Max. The first time I saw it was in the theater, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. But afterwards, I was kind of like, I, I, I was thankful that it was on HBO Max because it gave me an opportunity to watch it again to kind of solidify mm-hmm. how I felt about it. Yeah, I think I liked it a little more the second time because mm-hmm. I knew where things were going to stop and I wasn't as impatient about like, okay, sure. why are they not speeding up? But um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting film. You So the the names and things you didn't find frustrating at all? With all well, the no, they were. But okay. again, I, I, I t- that's a, a fault I have with a lot of science fiction gotcha. or fantasy film names and character relationships were, are just very, they're difficult to track and follow. And obviously the names in Dune, the names of characters are, are not helping you any. They're very, <laughs> many of them very complex names. And except um, for the random Duncan Idaho, right? Duncan Idaho. <laughs> I got that one. Um, right. So, you know, I did find it where I had to kind of pause and I was watching it at home with okay. HBO max pausing or replaying some parts just to kind of follow along. And it's still at the end. There's still things I'm not sure I 100% understood. But uh, again, that's that's pretty par for the course for me for a lot of sci-fi films these days. I don't know if it's my age. I don't know if it's my ability to memorize. I don't know. But 
either way, I, I wasn't any more frustrated by this than I am a lot of typical science fiction or very uh, heavy, heavy character um, relationship films. So, um, but no, I didn't find it. I didn't find any challenges there. I think, uh, I think everybody's well cast in this film. I, I, I can't find fault with anybody's performance or who they put in certain roles. Which um, I guess that's, you're giving a big accolade then to Timothy Chalamet because yeah, as Paul Atreides is kind of the central figure yeah. of this film and probably the next I, one. I thought he was really good. A lot of I, it sits yeah. on his shoulders. I right. thought he was really good. And, uh, you know, uh, fill in the shoes of Mr. Kyle McLaughlin from the, uh, uh, from the original one, the right. original film version. Yeah. He's, he, I think he's definitely more of the part. He's, he's younger. He's, he seems more age appropriate. I don't know how old Timothy Chalamet is. I'm sure he's playing younger in this film, but he right. pulls it off and it, I buy him as a kind of a, a little bit of a, a kid, a little bit of a hothead, a little bit of a, you know, wanting to do more, uh, in his life but feeling a little repressed by, by family, parents and, and their, their traditions. So I got it. I totally bought that. Um, thought it worked really well. Again, a couple of others I'll call out just, I thought were really good. Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my guy. I mean, I, I can't really find much <laughs> that he's done wrong in many cases. And Rebecca Ferguson, mm-hmm. those two, I think really strong actors and just, they, they played their part extremely well. Stellan Skarsgård. And they play um, the parts, they play the parts of Paul Atreides, mom and mom dad. And, well, say. yes. Mother and father. Right. Um, yes. Um, Stellan Skarsgård as the Baron, uh, I thought was very interesting. Hmm. Um, unrecognizable. Um, and, and he's kind of a, the bad guy. Yeah. Kind of, in a way, yeah. yeah. And I think visually very interesting what they did with him as a character. So, and then even Jason Momoa, who, you know, I'm not going to go out and say, I think is a, a, an excellent actor and brings gravitas to every role he performs. I think he's the new version of the rock. He is and I like him a little better than the rock. I think he's okay. got a little better charisma than the rock. I think he's got a better presence. I don't know, a little more weight to his characters and uh, him as Duncan Idaho. I mean, he's playing the part he's supposed to play. Oh, he's absolutely. Just, uh, <laughs> go in there and get him. I'm going to protect the family. I'm, I'm willing to jump in the, the face of danger. And he plays that part really well. I so. think so. Now that we brought up Mr. Momoa, we haven't talked about Zendaya, who plays. Um, she's not in a lot, but she I was going to say, was she in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, unfortunately. Okay, nothing against Zendaya, yeah. and nothing against what she may be in the second movie. But unfortunately, I felt like she was in this movie too much, oh, and I'll tell you huh, why. Interesting. Um, not that I don't like, but um, so she plays this character called Chiani, who Paul keeps having these visions of, and I wanted more Momoa. And less Zendaya flashbacks where she has blue eyes. Like, you know, I, wow. those drove me crazy. Like one or two, I get it. He sees visions. That's part of the character. But like they, I would just got so, as soon as they would cut to like a slow motion of her turning, looking backwards, like, Oh, are we doing another one of these? Like, you know, it's like, yeah. come on. And Momoa for me was what kept me interested in the film because he would have these little, and they were, you know, important moments. He's kind of a friend. He's, you know, kind of a mentor, I guess, of Paul Atreides. And, you know, mm-hmm. he has these little, he's, you know, being serious. And he, like you said, he's kind of the macho go in, take care of stuff, the soldier guy. But he kind of jokes and pokes fun at Chalamet. And that made me laugh, like really made me laugh a lot more than I thought. And then there's another scene where he's, he is familiar with this group mm-hmm. that Paul gets to be familiar with called the Fremen who are on this planet 
um, Arrakis, which is, I guess, people nicknamed Dune. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, is, so anyways, yeah. that's, you know, he becomes friends with them and they have this culture thing where they like spit upon greeting somebody. Mm-hmm. So there again, it's just kind of this, I don't know. He, he was a perfect device. And I, I felt like, and you say you feel this kind of the same way. He's like, it's the new version of the rock. Yeah. Like he has a specific role and he does a really good job. And it's like the character was written for him, even though it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. I um, yeah, I, I really found myself saying, you know, less, less flashbacks with, or less flash forwards, less dream sequences. I well, guess, part of it is I'm wondering if, uh, all right, let's think about this from a, from a, I'm going to think about it from a little bit of a production business standpoint. Okay. Supposedly, they had not greenlit a part two at the time of the film being released. Now, whether or not I buy that, I don't know. <laughs> right. But let's assume that they're being accurate and they had not greenlit the film. So there is a chance if this film bombed that this would have been it. And it would have been an expensive bomb. It would have been an expensive bomb. And it would have been a very frustrating experience because then we just invested over two and a half hours with people liking this movie and finding out that we will not get to see it continue. Now, if I'm <laughs> Miss Zendaya... And I'm all over the posters and marketing for Dune, but yet I'm in the movie very, very, very little because it's part <laughs> one and they never make a part two. I think there may have been a little business decision to feature her more in this film mm. to ensure they've got the time under her that they would not have had if they let just let the story play out and never actually do a, a part two. Gotcha. Anyway, that's part of my theory with it. Um I, uh, you know, I, yes, I do think, yeah, there are a lot of, there's a lot of those visions. I think that's obviously very key to the story and it's important to make sure you understand that they're, that Paul is constantly haunted by these visions and we need to see that. I will say that the, the, where there was a little bit of a gap for me is, you know, the fact that there was so much buildup to Paul having these visions of Zendaya's character, Shani, that when they actually meet, <laughs> It's actually kind of a, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a letdown. I'm like, Oh, so that's it. That's, that's how they meet now. Okay. Which again, that's more of a, a just a choice in the story making it has nothing to do with the actors and the performances they gave, just the mechanics of them actually meeting. It felt a little bit of a letdown. And even though we only have that band of characters for 20, 20 minutes of the film, maybe at the end, um, that transition was a little awkward. Uh, in the story, in the storytelling in the film. Well, and um, I was, I was surprised too. There's a, there's a pretty big action scene that comes, comes, you know, kind of late in the film. And after that action scene happens, there's an attack on Arrakis. After that happens, I was expecting this film to kind of wind up kind of mm-hmm. quickly after that. And instead we have a whole nother 30, 40 minutes. And basically I was like, okay, I guess this is so we can meet you know, so we can meet Zendaya and mm-hmm. well, yes, <laughs> that, that's in Javier Bardem. Yeah, yeah. Be reintroduced to him. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in a way it's like there again, it's editing decision. I don't know what part two is going to bring, but I'm like, yeah, couldn't we have just left that for part two? <laughs> you know? Well, but I, I kind but, of feel like, I mean, they may have been looking the same way as that if they put everything happening on the actual planet, the Dune planet in part two, you're talking about a very packed in Dune part two, where part one might have been way too leisurely just being up on the original, uh, the original planet with the Atreides family. I don't know. Hmm. Um, 
Anyway, we'll have to wait and see. We're That's kind right. of speculating. We don't know what they're going to do with a part two, assuming it's only part two and they're not going to do a part two and three. I don't know. <laughs> There's no telling. I mean, yeah, pull like a Peter Jackson and make three movies from one book or something. I mean, this movie's doing really well financially. I think they're pretty happy with the returns on it. So you never know. They may want to try to franchise this out and stretch it out more. Overall, I thought it was good. I, I did like it. I, I had a good time with it. I think visually, if nothing else, it's just really impressive to watch and to see uh, the care and attention that's put into every shot is still just for me a real hallmark of Villeneuve's f- films. Um, I could watch one of his films with no real story, just a lot of visuals, just interesting put together. And I think that would be entertaining for me. So um, he's see, just got a really great, he and the cinematographer team, really a great eye for what they're wanting to put on camera. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned to me, I, either was, I can't remember if it was on mic or if it was off mic after our last review, but you talked about hearing familiar score bits from Hans Zimmer in No Time to Die, basically yes. echoing Dark Knight. Yeah, I can't remember if I did that on the, on the recording or not. But yes, in No Time to Die, Hans Zimmer, composer, borrowed some theme elements from the Dark Knight films in that score. But yes. So... Uh, Hans Zimmer is uh, doing the score and mm-hmm. stuff for Dune. Uh, how did how did you feel like Mr. Zimmer did this I, time out? I, I thought it was great. Okay. I think Hans, Hans Zimmer is becoming our most versatile composer. And you didn't hear any Dark Knight this time? Didn't hear any Dark Knight <laughs> themes or any No Time to Die themes. So more, pretty... more bagpipes than you would have expected? Yeah, there were some bagpipes. I was surprised by that, but it was good. I mean, it's just it, it, he's a versatile composer. Sure. Still, he's kind of in the whole genre camp for the most part with sci-fi and action and comic books, uh, but that's okay. He it, but his stuff varies enough. This was this was a good score. I really did like the 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 music and use of music in the film. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I, if if the only thing that's disappointing for me with this is the fact that they just now did green light the second film, which means it's going to be at least two years, if not three, when we see it. Which, I think I've seen that they were going to try to make it in, or try to put it out in 2023. So, which again, the shame of it is, if you kind of look back to when Peter Jackson made the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, one of the geniuses of that is a they knew at the time they were making all three at the same mm-hmm. time, so they could be working on it, and you have one every year, so you really right. didn't have to wait too long. I do think there's a little bit of a challenge in a some. It's going to cause some distance from the original film having to wait two plus years for another one. Right. Um, I mean, because you have, like we've mentioned, you have a lot of big name actors and then to get all of them. And then I remember that was kind of a joke when Dune was announced. It was like, wait, who is not in Dune? (laughs) Because you had Oscar Isaac, you had Josh Mm -hmm. Brolin, you had Javier Bardem. It's like, you know, Dave Bautista. It's like, okay, who, who's not in Dune? (laughs) Right. Um, So yeah, I, I think that would be a headache to try to get scheduling right for all these people. But, um, although yeah. like you mentioned, there's a lot of the characters in this one that true may not be showing up in the second one. <laughs> right, so right. they may not have to worry about quite as many. So people. maybe scheduling won't be as hard. Yeah, right. Could be. Who knows? Um, I, I think I'm recommending it. I think it's a really great adaptation. I think it's, uh, it is setting up what could be an interesting franchise if they're planning on going that route. And I'm sure the, the movie studios are definitely thinking in that area. So, um, so let me mention something about that. Yeah. Within the first 10 minutes of this film, I, and I was, I was liking it and I, I am positive on it, but I got to thinking, you know what? I, why? And I think I know the answer, but I'd be curious to hear what you thought. Why don't we get any original 
sci-fi material that is big scope. And what I'm saying is, yes, you know, originally this has already been done before, so this is a remake. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner that he did was essentially a re- now Rival, but, but Rival you know, was original, but it didn't. There's no, there's no sequels. It was, it was yeah. kind of a self-contained thing. Why is it so hard to make an original sci-fi film that is like self-contained and original? And then if there's a sequel, there's a sequel. But like, why? Why is it so hard? It's, I, I think especially it's just, with all yes. of the stuff that we have nowadays yeah. from Marvel, that's not sci-fi, but it's yeah. fantasy. It's, you know, it's, it's all economic driven. I think it's the idea that to do a really big scale production sci-fi film is very expensive. And if you're not basing it off of something that's already a known quantity, you're it's a, it's a huge risk. Now arrival, I think got by because it, I don't consider it big scale. I mean, sure. yeah, it's not actual, world building. It's like right. here on earth. There's yeah, already the actual yeah, sure, alien sure. ship was impressive, but that's really the only major visual effect you had to deal with in that film. Yeah. I think it, I think you're right. I think it's all, that's what I kind of came to. I was like, well, yeah, it's a monetary thing. It's too much of a risk. Yeah. Are we going to put hundreds of millions of dollars into producing an original science fiction film that we have no idea if anybody has any connection to whatsoever. Right. But that, yeah. that was the excitement. It was like, what if, I didn't know this story. Yeah. How amazing would that be? Like, I, cause I was blown away in the first 10 minutes. I was like, yeah, but what if, what if I didn't know what was going to happen? That'd be so awesome. And I <laughs> kind of didn't know what was going to happen. Cause again, I don't, the, 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 the David Lynch film, I don't really recall. Gotcha. I just recall moments from it from, because I was really young. I think I was maybe, you know, 15, 14, 15. And you've only seen it, it probably once. Yeah. 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 So I, I was able to go into this and say, I really have no idea what's going to happen with characters or story. So um, gotcha. that made it nice. Um, that's Dune. It is performing pretty well in the box office. It should still be in the theaters for a little while, uh, probably up until the holidays, uh, through the holidays, I would imagine. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a strong recommendation. Chris, sounds like you're recommending it maybe a little less than I did, but uh, probably more for the pace of the story sure. seemed to be a little bit more of an issue for you uh, than it was for me. So, all right, well, let's move on to our second review, Chris, and it is the film uh, directed and written by Mr. Edgar Wright last night in Soho. Last night I had a dream. There was a girl. I got this kind of gift. And you are? Sandy. I can see people, places. So I'll see you again. You know where to find me. But they're not just dreams. They really happened. What did you see, Sandy? A girl murdered. You witnessed the murder last night. You believe this was a vision. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? Uh, The description for Last Night in Soho reads, Chris, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer, but the glamour is not all it appears to be and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. Uh, with Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, 
we have a film that you know, Mr. Wright, I think has dabbled in a lot of different genres over his, over his career. You know, probably people know him best for one of his earliest films, Shaun of the Dead, where he got to take on the zombie horror, but also with comedy mixed in. Then he pivoted and, and did comedy, but in the uh, police action world with hot buddy fuzz. cop, yeah, yeah, buddy cop movie. Then you got to the world's end where it became more of a movie about friendship, but also elements of sci-fi mm-hmm. uh, surprisingly mixed in. Uh, I think after that or before that might have been the uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. One of my favorite films. Um, and then you've also had baby driver since then as well. A nice heist movie with car chases and so forth. So he's playing with a lot of different genres, playing with a lot of different styles. This film He's kind of burrowing into a more psychological thriller slash horror slash mystery movie, but all done in the uh, in the environment of both modern day and the 1960s in London, and just for a nice mixture of those two environments, all held together by our lead actress Thomasin McKenzie. People may remember for her role in uh, Jojo Rabbit, where she was uh, perform uh, played the uh, someone hiding mm-hmm. in the house uh, from the uh, Nazi soldiers. Uh, you also have Anya Taylor-Joy as Sandy, who is the, in the description you just heard, the person that she meets, I guess you could say Eloise Thomasin McKenzie, meets in her visions or ways of transporting back to the 1960s. Chris, with this, uh, I, I think you're a pretty good fan of Edgar Wright's films. Yes. We actually showed and talked about his documentary Sparks Brothers uh, not too long ago. That was the first documentary that he's put out and done. Uh, and there's a lot of use of music on that same path. I think every one of his movies, music has played a really key role in the film. Interestingly enough, um, just like I don't think he's ever used any Sparks Brothers in one of his films, has he? I'd be interested. I need to go back and look because as big a fan as he is of them, it's just funny. It's like, yeah, yeah but I don't think Not he's ever actually think used of, them. But no, anyways, okay, I sorry. I believe so. That's <laughs> fine. So my question to you is, how does this stack uh, compared to previous Edgar Wright films? I know you and I were both a little let down with Baby Driver when it came out. Feeling like it just... Uh, <laughs> using a metaphor, ran out of steam later in the film, started off really strong, but just did not kind of carry us throughout the whole film as much. I was a little let down by the film. Overall, still liked it, but just felt like it could have been so much more. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on how this compares to other work of uh, Mr. Wright's. So, you know, unlike Dune, uh, this is only in its theatrical release right now. It's not on HBO Max, which I guess, uh, you know, coming off the pandemic and how things were released, I'm a little spoiled because... I wish I could watch this a second time. Um, I did watch it the first time. <laughs> so I do have a, an initial impression. Um, the first, let's say, if we divide it into thirds, because it's an easy thing to do when you're talking about films, the first two thirds I really liked. Mm-hmm. The last third, it bothered, something about it bothered me. Not the ideas that were presented, but I think the way they were presented mm-hmm. just seemed a little kind of haphazard and a little wobbly. Yeah. But the more I think about it, um, after the film, like talking with my wife, she went to go see it with me. I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'm just being too hard on it. And if I know how the film is going to end, which having seen it once I would, if I go back and watch it again, 
would it actually hold up a little better because you see things that you now that you know where the story is going, you're like, oh, yes, this is actually constructed. Like I was a little critical of the construction thinking it was a little wobbly. But if I were to go back and watch it as a whole, would I actually say, no, you know what? It, it holds up better than I thought, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I am torn on it. I, I do like the film, especially, like I said, the first uh, two thirds. And I got to say, you mentioned um, his previous films and a kind of a common theme too, is how he works with music. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I have criticized a film earlier this year, um, not by Edgar Wright, but Cruella with the mm-hmm. kind of music drops they did mm-hmm. and said that, you know, it just kind of seemed a bit much sometimes. It just didn't really work. But, you know, he uses music drops in this film, and for some reason, they work. And I think maybe it's because of how they're entwined with the story. Mm-hmm. But the first song that they play as the movie opens, it's just like, and Thomas and McKenzie's like dancing in a room in this dress mm-hmm. that she's made. Just, I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that that's kind of my initial reaction. How, what are, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm pretty close to you. I, I may come out a little more positive even. So okay. I really, I really love this movie. I, uh, I do agree, and we'll talk about that third portion. I, I do think it's – I don't know if I felt it was really – that was wobbly. I, I felt like it was maybe veering towards a film that I did not want it to be oh. for a little while, but then it course-corrected by the end. So, I, again, I'm being non-spoiler huh. okay. at all. Interesting. Maybe um, we should have spoil, spoilers We might have to with this one because okay. I, I, I did love the way it ended. And I'm talking the last 15 – so minutes of it final okay. sequence got you but I, I was afraid in these scenes the the time leading up to that finale that it was going for more of a again being very broad on this going for more <laughs> of a message movie which uh. i did not really feel like that that really was in keeping with what the film was trying to do so i felt like it was going a little off the rails for a while but mm-hmm. then it course corrected ended back where I wanted it to end and I was happy with it. So uh, that's about as vague as I can be in my description of that. Huh. Um, okay. But I, uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was just very, very it's a very uh, exciting film. That's yeah. one way I look at it is I was enthralled, even though I could say I could, uh, some people may feel like that the lead up to everything really starting to happen was a pretty long process. I mean, we spent a good 30, 40 minutes, I think with, Thomas and McKenzie's character and with her moving to London and kind of her setup there and meeting all the people she interacts with before things really started to get interesting. But I still love the way Edgar Wright told that initial story. Anyway, um, okay. you're right. The opening musical uh, kind of during the credits, I guess uh, right. uh, with uh, Eloise Thomas and McKenzie's character singing or dancing in her own room. Yeah. Right away. I was like, yep, I'm in, I'm done. <laughs> Sure. Uh, you can do anything else you want the rest of the movie. I'm, I'm on board. There are two other musical sequences in the film that I think are just stand out. Okay. Um, one of them is a first dance sequence mm. with both Eloise and Sandy, which putting them together, even yes. though they're from two different time periods was really, really well done. And it was just a lot of fun to watch this, this whole dance sequence. Then later in the film, there's one that's, shot and and presented as a very fun energetic dance sequence but it absolutely is not and it's the land of a thousand dances where sandy has now settled into a a a form of her career that is not good for her or anybody and you see that through dance in this whole sequence and yeah that was really good as well so just 
those moments really kind of, even if you start to drift off a little bit from the film or feel like the films are maybe losing some focus, I think when they brought them together in some of those really, uh, really, really well done sequences, it just, it just worked. Um, I, I like the fact that the, ultimately at the end of the day, the film was not, the, the film is just trying to have a quote fun time with a period piece thriller with some elements of horror in it. Mm-hmm. And even though that you could argue that there's maybe some other deeper things being said with the story and kind of the outcome overall, it was just a good f- mystery horror thriller at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I, I, hmm. I could go on about some other things I really liked about it, but Chris, any, any you mentioned, felt like it got, you know, maybe didn't hold up as well. Do you, there are some other criticisms you had or things you felt didn't work as well. Or no, it's, did you want to call it's really that last third. And I think maybe we'll, well, I tell you what, before we, you know, after we finish the review, before we get to our you know, like news segment, I tell you what, we will do a little bit of a spoiler talk. So we'll warn okay. you before yeah. we get there. And then you'll know if you want to skip that, you'll know when you hear us talking about news that you're safe <laughs> to start listening again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be after the break. Um, I don't want to spoil anything because to, to talk about the problems, I think I'd have to okay. do that. And I don't want to do that. Um, so I'll just say, you know, other things that I did like about it, the production design and the cinematography, oh, I yeah. thought were also like outstanding, giving everything a specific look, um, something, a term that I'd heard thrown around before, but I didn't really like investigate what it meant. Um, it's Giallo esque. Um, this film is, and Giallo is like a term. I've looked this up. Thank you, Wikipedia. It's an Italian term for a thriller or mystery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the one example I think I've seen of these type of films is, um, Suspiria right. by Dario Argento, mm-hmm. who apparently, um, I think played a lot of influences on Edgar Wright and this film kind of not borrows anything from that film, but as far as like the look and the colors specifically using a lot of red and blue, mm-hmm. um, I think he was kind of in a way paying an homage to that. And I felt sure. like, yes, that totally, totally worked. And mm-hmm. something I'd be curious about if I was better versed in Giallo films is whether or not the third act would seem less wobbly mm-hmm. because I think, I think, but I don't know because the only one I have to base it off of is Suspiria. Um, Like their whole thing is mood and establishing these things. And then they kind of have this kind of left turn kind Mm -hmm. of oddly thing. So which Suspiria kind of did. So maybe if I was more familiar with that genre, I would actually like this film as a whole better because I wouldn't be distracted by that final third. Mm -hmm. Because like, as you mentioned in your, um, your intro, Wright likes to jump around between genres. Mm-hmm. And I was very well familiar with the zombie film. So, you know, <laughs> Shaun of the Dead didn't bother me. Right. Baby Driver. Yep. I know all about like heist movies and stuff like So maybe the fact that he was dabbling in horror or thriller, but this very specific kind of niche type, you know, type of film that that's what maybe held me back a little bit. I still liked it, yeah. but maybe some of the things that I felt like were wobbly, I would have appreciated more if I'd have known kind of what he was mimicking or mm-hmm. what he was honoring, mm-hmm. I should say. Okay. I can see so that. So that, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't really think too much in that. I, I, I loved, I mean, it, it kind of came down to the use of neon for me. Sure. Which if I had to kind of bullet down as far as where that, uh, the color scheme and some of the the overall look and use. Yes, I, I'm not as familiar with Argento films, so I, I didn't couldn't really speak to that as much um, how it fit into that. But I um, you take you take the elements of a really good horror film, sure, 
which I, I have a hard time saying calling this a horror film because it did have some moments of horror. Oh yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it, it was, it was a little more than just that. It was more of like a thriller. It's truly more psychological thing. thriller sure. than it was a horror, but, um, which I'm glad because in general, I don't yeah. go for horror films. So. True. Yeah, very true. But then you mix that with Edgar Wright's use of music and his just, you know, timing, uh, kind of his energetic style of filming and editing the film. Um, it just worked as a, as a total picture for me. I, I do want to say and call out, you know, just some of the performances. Sure. Because I already mentioned them once, but I'm going to mention them again because I thought they were both really good. Thomas and McKenzie as Eloise, I thought was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had to carry basically the entire movie. Sure. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy, very good, but got to play a very specific part and didn't have, honestly didn't have to stray too far from it, but the part she played, she played really, really well. Um, I'm even going to call it Diana Rigg who, oh, yeah. uh, as Miss Collins, kind of the landlord of the lady of the house where uh, Thomas and McKenzie's character lives. Uh, it was her final performance. Yeah. So actually, you know, even opening they credit, dedicate, they did yeah. say for, for Diana, uh, but she was really good. She was, she was a very, very fun character to play and uh, a fun role. Um, yeah. And then Matt Smith, uh, as Jack, who comes to be kind of a de facto manager for, uh, Anya Taylor, Joy Sandy, um, played a great part. Can't say too much about his part, but I thought he was, uh, well, he was, he was really good. It was fun for me to see. I, you know, I'm familiar with Matt Smith and others may be too, who listen to the podcast from what he did with Dr. Who. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, I've, I think of him as being Dr. And you talk about a role that's opposite that he, he does not play a nice guy <laughs> in this mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Um, and to see him play that dark kind of figure, that was, that was fun for me. And he, he does an excellent job, but he still has a li- some kind of charisma to draw people in, but he not a nice dude. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought it was, I thought he did a good job. Yeah. It was fun to see him. I thought all the performances were really strong. And, uh, there's there's one other I'll call out, you know, Diana yeah. Rigg. She's kind of a classic uh, English, you know, performer that mm-hmm. people will be aware of through a lot of like PBS type dramas and right. stuff. Um, another fellow who's in this film has, you know, more of kind of a cameo, but still well-respected actor. And it was fun to see him on screen. Terrence Stamp. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was him. it was fun to see him. Him and Diana Rigg both in this film, you know, kind of like I it was it was fun to see, you know, it was well, fun Terrence to see Stamp that. had such such great stage uh, screen presence sure. in this film. He really gets to <laughs> he gets to have a lot of fun with his his role. And uh yeah, no, overall I was really happy with the film. Um, you know, I, I'm still, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus the world is still my favorite Edgar Wright film. Mm. It's not at that level for me, I, I, I'm not going around telling everybody I know that they have to rush to the theater and see this. <laughs> I, I do, I do really like it though. I think it's a good film in his overall filmography. Mm-hmm. It matches up well. And, um, yeah, if anything else, I mean, Thomas and McKenzie, I think we're going to see a lot more of her in some other roles. She, she shows that she can basically carry a film and does really well with it. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Last Night in Soho, and uh, hope say, more people go out and see it. I'll say too, um, Jojo Rabbit, one of her films, and a smaller film, Leave No Trace, where she plays oh, right. a daughter yes. in that film. Um, yeah, I, I, she's she's clearly going to be she's going to be big. Yeah, I think so as well. <laughs> I think so as well. So that is Last Night in Soho, directed and written by Edgar Wright. We are both uh, recommending it again. I'm. 
coming out a little more positive on both these films today, Chris. So uh, I'm in a good mood. I'm happy about the films I've seen. (laughs) I want to tell people about them. Uh, Last Night in Soho is in theaters. I did not have a good opening weekend, so I don't expect Mm -hmm. it to be in theaters very long. But I do think it's one that when it gets onto uh, streaming, it's going to catch up a little bit more of an audience there. It's uh, hopefully more people get to see it there. So, all right, Chris, let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we will have our news items for the episode. And we're also going to have our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out. Stick oh, around. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll yeah. Do a little sorry. bit of spoiler talk. Let's go ahead and do spoiler talk. We're going to do that now, right? Yes. Okay. So if you're listening now, but you do not want to be spoiled on Last Night in Soho, Please skip ahead a little bit to where you hear us break or coming back with news. Yep. Uh, but here we go. Three, two, one. Spoiler talk. Okay. <laughs> Spoiler talk. So, yes. Chris, my, my, my concern with latter half part of the film, mm-hmm. uh, we have a situation where we find out that Sandy, who is the, uh, the girl from the 1960s, yes. that, um, that Thomas and McKenzie's Eloise becomes kind of enamored with and is in a way able to see her life back in the 60s and follow her around. Uh, we find out Sandy kind of gets taken in by a, basically Jack is a pimp and yes. is basically taking control of her. Yes. And you know has her doled out to a whole bunch of old rich men yes. uh, at this particular club where she's working. So that becomes her life. Which I was not expecting prostitution to be in this film. I was, I was like, oh, oh, you know, yeah, not yeah. that it bothered me. I was just like, oh. it was surprising because the framework you see from the trailer, is just like, Oh, here's the singer. She gets famous. She's murdered. Oh, what happened? And it's more of like a detector as opposed to like, well, she, she could sing, but it's like this life that goes downhill. Yes. She's never famous. She is basically a prostitute. Yeah, yeah. I was not expecting that up to the point where we start to realize that all of these where we're, we're led to believe, well, we do see that, all of these men that she had been with basically are coming back to haunt Eloise. Eloise is basically now haunted by these creatures that you find out are the men that Sandy had been with in the past. Yes. And I will admit it started, the film started to concern me a little bit because I thought some of the, the effects and some of the, the, the way that they had these men come in back into her life and haunting her in a way it was a little campy and I felt like it was trying to do too much of a message movie of, Hey, look kind of a, yeah. Hey, can't treat women that way. And look at what happens and all that, which again, I I'm fine. Obviously I believe the message, but I felt like that was going to be the whole thing of the movie hmm. is, well, see these men, they were just uh, took advantage of her and it, she died because of it. One of them got too violent with her or Jack did. And this is what happens. And you know, Again, the, I had no problem with the message, but I did not want that to be the whole way the film was going to go. I got you. And, but I was happy when we come to learn that Miss Collins, the landlord, the owner, was actually is, is, Sandy. is Sandy. Sandy did not die. Right. Sandy actually murdered all those men that tried to take advantage of her. And I like the fact that the film, for a moment, tries to tries to make you sympathize with the men for like a quick moment. They're just yeah. like, you know, help us, help, help us. us. Yeah. The, the demon that. or the, the yeah. ghosts are saying, help us. Help and Eloise us. is like, no, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> it's not that I really want to like, you know, she, she sympathizes with Sandy. Sandy. She doesn't want to get, they're trying to make yeah. her call the police and get Sandy right. in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I liked how it all ended up, but I will admit that last third, there were some moments where I felt like, okay, I'm not, I don't know if I'm digging kind of what they're, what they're doing here. So I think, okay. So 
that was kind of what, you know, didn't wobble for you, but that's, mm. I think my problem may, and the, the more I've sat and thought about it, I do like this movie more and more. And I think the problem is, which makes it all my fault. Mm. <laughs> um, I knew who Diana Rigg was mm-hmm. going into this film. I knew that this was like her last performance. And you, like you said, it shows that credit again. I'm like, Oh, that's right. She's in this. Um, from the moment she so showed up on screen and the way who she was, her character, I was like, that's, that's Sandy. Mm-hmm. She's still alive. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of the faults. Like if you figured out the usual suspects in that movie, is that the film's fault or is that just, you just have seen a lot of movies and you figure this out and then you're holding it against the film that it kind of, and I think that was my thing is because I'd kind of figured that out when revelations start to happen, when Jack is not the main bad guy you thought he was, I mean, he's still a bad dude, yeah. but he's not the present day Terrence stamps character. He's not right. the same. Like, so I think because I'd kind of think maybe that's why I felt like it got a little wobbly, but something about the execution I felt like maybe could have been smoother, but I don't know. I think maybe, maybe it does hold up. The problem was I suspected the Diana Rigg character, Miss Collins actually yeah. being Sandy. And maybe that's why it didn't quite. I, I had a couple right. moments where that I've started to have that same consideration. I think the scene where, She's trying to break. Well, now that you now that you look back on it, you understand what that scene was. But the scene where Eloise has uh, the boy that she's dating yes. over, yes, and is then gets tormented by the same demon ghost of the of the old gentleman, and Which, she's and kind of gone. Miss Collins hears that and thinks yes. that oh, he's up there taking advantage of right. her or something. Right. When that scene happened, I kind of had given up, not thinking that Miss Collins was going to be Sandy. I had thought for a moment maybe yes, but I thought well. But she kind of is acting like she doesn't really know what's going on. She's just trying to get the guy out of the room and right. make sure Sandy's okay. But then now right. you look back, you're like, okay, yeah, I totally get it. She remembers what all had happened to her up in that room. And here she's wondering if there's a guy up there trying to take advantage of Eloise. She's going to get him out of the house. Well, and I think, okay, so, and also one of the breadcrumbs that I think was a problem for me, but there again, it's my fault. When she's showing her the room, she's like, no, no men. Mm. And then Sandy asks her some kind of question. She's like, well, this used to not be such a nice place. I got this room. You know, I now own this place. But it's like, it's basically kind of setting the state. And I think maybe if they hadn't included that, I would have been more oblivious. But the fact it's like, no, she's saying she's been here for a while. Yeah, yeah, maybe it yeah. could have could have. But, you know, but even if you figured out that 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 Miss Collins was Sandy, I still think the film works oh, as yeah, an inner yeah. piece of entertainment. And yeah. I think even, yeah, I did like the way it ended. I mean, I think I the too. whole final sequence of Eloise confronting Miss Collins or Sandy was good. It was just creepy enough and just kind of disturbing and, enough. And yeah. And yeah. And she lets her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I was happy with how it all ended. Right. Um, so overall, I, I think the movie worked, but again, it did take a few some turns there I was a little hesitant at. And let me just say this too. Uh, you know, I, um, Nick Frost, uh-huh. I know is a mainstay. <laughs> he has been in so many of Edgar Wright's Did movies. That bothered you that he was, well, one of no, the it didn't bother oh, okay. me at the first moment. It bothered me that he was there. Like every time we saw a montage of the ghost, it was like, after a while, it's like, Aww. I was just wanted to be a cameo. I just liked the fact that we saw him in Aww. the club and we saw him. I mean, we see him get killed for a brief second, you know, uh, 
I didn't need to see him constantly coming back oh. in the in the with the ghost because it's like, all right, I get it. Yes, there's Nick Frost. That's funny. Right, right. Yeah, you know, we we get it. He had a little cameo in there. Um, I'm mm-hmm. glad they didn't do Simon Pegg as one. Also, that would have been like probably way distracting way after a while. So okay. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a fun film. You know, something that's interesting, which there again, I didn't want to. I guess I could have mentioned this in the original review. And this last thing I'll say, they never really give an explanation. As far as what Eloise, how she does mm-hmm. that, like they show that she's haunted by her mother, yes, um, who committed suicide. We mm-hmm. learn in the very beginning, but she sees, keeps seeing her mother, yeah, and then she goes to this, you know, place and she keeps seeing Sandy when she stays in this little apartment. But even before she, no, it was she first starts flat going back and forth between the sixties when she gets to this apartment, right? She mm-hmm. hasn't done that prior to staying in this apartment. No, she's she, only seeing her mother. Right. Okay. So she yeah. gets to this apartment. And that's when she starts doing the sixties, but they never really establish like why she has this like yeah. power. She's just very, she's just very sensitive. She's very intuitive. She's right, very, I guess, yeah. and I guess that's the idea. I was a little confused. I mean, but at, but at one point they, because who is it that sees it's a classmate that sees that she basically has a hickey on her neck. Oh yeah. And so does she think, physically travel back or did she do kind of inadvertently something that yeah yeah. that gave her that so because like because in the the flashback that happens to the sandy character and then she comes back and eloise has it so it's like what exactly it never really spends any time exploring why which i I guess is fine but interesting didn't bother me um i do question the mother in the mirror it, it, it and felt at the, end, at the very at the end, end, it felt she sees her random. mother and then she sees Sandy. Sand, like her mother basically gets replaced by Sandy. And that confused me a bit. Okay. I, mean, I didn't know what that was supposed to represent. Right. I'm not really sure what the mother and the grandmother, their role in the whole thing, other than the fact, I mean, I get that the mother was ultimately wanting to go to London and be right. a designer. So right. Eloise kind of feels like she's following and fulfilling the the path that her mother did not. That I get, but why the mother would still show up at the end in the mirror and kind of the grandmother still having that. I don't know. I, I wondered if there was meant to be something more there that the film just decided not to go into. I don't hmm. know. Yeah. But um, that was the only thing that left me a little questionable at the very end. But other all, overall, I still thought it was a very satisfying ending to the film and uh, liked it a lot. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Spoiler talk over. We're done with spoiler talk. All right. <laughs> Uh, here, now we'll go to the break and come back news and recommendation. All right. Thanks for sticking through that. I'll be back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Uh, Chris and I just spent the last part of the show talking over the films Dune as well as the film Last Night in Soho. Both positive reviews. Yes. Both recommended by us. I felt like I was a little higher on both of them, which is nice. <laughs> I like being the positive one on the film or the more positive one at times. Um, so yeah, but both of them are definitely ones we feel like are worth checking out and, and uh, have a lot of value to them. But Chris, let's talk about some future productions. This is part of the show where we go through some news items. We talk about some movie productions, some announcements, uh, things that could be some interesting projects maybe we may want to keep our eye out on. 
I'll admit, Chris, this week I didn't really have a whole lot. Okay. Uh, I kind of felt like I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel with news this week, know. so I apologize to everybody <laughs> for that. This is not the most exciting news segment we've ever done. Okay. But I'm still going to throw them out there. We're, we're Maybe, setting, like we said, expectations low for films. We're yes. setting expectations low for yes. this, this news is a, th- these, these news items are not interesting, <laughs> but we're still going to bring them up just because sure. I, we have a commitment to our listeners sure. to bring up some movie news. So here we go. Um, Anna de Armas, who had a, a short but memorable turn in No Time to Die. Was in Knives Out. Was in Knives Out, kind of the lead in Knives Out with Ryan Johnson. Uh, she is being eyed for the lead in the John Wick spinoff titled Ballerina. Now, ah, I had heard that there was going to be a Wick spinoff, mm-hmm. that it was going to be Ballerina, but I did not know that she was going to be. Okay. So I'm going to need lady. some help on this. Okay. Um, I saw the original John Wick. Okay. Have not seen any other John Wicks. Because of my son, I have seen, um, who is old enough to see these movies because they are violent. <laughs> um, I have seen the second one and the third Parabellum or whatever. So, yes, I have seen So, is them. Ballerina a character in any of those films? Oh, okay. Um, I think, she, I don't know if she is, but there is a group that has some dancer people in it that I think was in the third one. So I'm going to say, yeah, I don't think De Armas was shown yeah. in the film, but yeah, I think there's, there's, but, there's some, yeah. According to deadline, some connective tissue, according to deadline De Armas is currently in talks to star as the lead role in the new movie, which follows her character from John wick chapter three Parabellum. Okay. A young ballerina training to become an assassin in order to seek revenge upon those who murdered her family. Okay. So, Okay. It makes it sound like she was in and John she Wick could be, And I just didn't write. And she played such a, like a smaller part that I didn't realize that she was in the film or I didn't know the actress at that point because Anna Armas, she can act. She's a pretty face. So you know how bond girls are kind of like come and go interchangeable from the movies. So I may have mistook her for just being a bond girl. Like she ended up being in no time to die, but um, are kind of, um, so I may have just thought like, I didn't realize that, Oh, that's Anna Armas. That's knives out lady, you know? Um, so yeah, she, I guess if I'll, I'll take your word for it. So she was in Parabellum. Okay. I'm, I'm verifying this right okay. now. Okay. And as there, we speak, there is, there is a segment in that film where he kind of has to research some things. And I do remember, I thought, um, oh, now I can't remember her name. Uh, she's in the Royal Tannenbaums. Angelica, Angelica Houston. Houston. She is in Parabellum as well, I think. Yes. And I think I was more like paying attention to her role and her character as opposed to what Anna Armas, if she was in that film, and the ballerinas had mm-hmm. to do with had to do with. Right, so Anna Armas was not in. Okay, she wasn't. But so I, she must. But there were ballerinas. And I think Angelica Houston's character was integral in making that whole subplot or whatever okay. happened. So that that's that was what what threw me. But oh okay. Um there is gonna be a spinoff, I guess okay. is the key word here. Um Am I like, you know, John Wick, they are interesting for what they are. Um but I feel like they've kind of run their course. The original mm. one was really good. Yeah, um, I like you know, the original but it's an one. action movie and I feel like second and third have kind of had diminishing returns. Yeah. Um but seeing you know, the ballerina idea. I mean, to me, it's kind of like the black widow type thing, you know, where you Mm -hmm. take women and you train them to be trained assassins or, um, I guess black, or there was the movie that I never saw with Jennifer Lawrence. That was red Sparrow. Sparrow. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe 
doesn't sound that all that original to me, but I do yeah. like Anna Armas. So I don't know. I guess we'll, I'll wait and yeah, see. Yeah. Lynn Wiseman is set to direct it. Um, <laughs> not a, not a real fan of his work. Un- Underworld, the whole nope. Underworld series not, not and all that's his <laughs> movies. And yeah. Okay. So it's, we'll what, see. I do it, think Anna Armas is, is really good. And I think she's, I could see her settling into kind of that uh, action role. Sure. Uh, character. It's kind of, you know, a lot of movies I seek, out because of the cast or the director or, you know, like obviously I've mentioned, I'd be a fool for any science fiction movie that came out Um, with horror and with action films. I kind of don't get excited about them until I depend on other critics and other people who like those styles to say like, Oh, this is a good horror film. You should see this, or this is a good action film because to me, they all kind of blur together and I don't really care for them. But if I heard like, that's how I got onto the first John Wick, people were like, Mm -hmm. no, this is stylish in a way. This is not your just average action film. You, you should, your Jason Statham, throw them around, people beat them up. You know, no, you should see this. So with the ballerina, I'm, I am skeptical just because it's coming off. It's a spinoff of John Wick, which I feel like is, you know, type, but I'll, I'll wait and see, you know, if I hear that, it, you know, it is really powerful. It does bring something original to it. Like, it was original Atomic Blonde. Did you ever see that, Alan? I did not. With Charlize no. Theron. Mm-mm. And there again, it's kind of this action, you know, spy thrill. And it was like, oh, there's nothing. But Charlize Theron in that role, in the film, it was good. Do I want to see a sequel? No. <laughs> but was it good? Yes. So maybe Ballerina will be like that. Is that what it's it's called? It's just Ballerina? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't know. I, I okay. think so. Okay. Um, huh. Yeah, let's go with that. It's just going to be called Ballerina. That sounds good. I like that. Actually, it's a name for an action film. (laughs) Um, All right, let's move on to my other uh, news item again. uh, I I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. Um, Chris, I know you, and I'm sure you are a huge fan of the Rocky franchise. (laughs) The original Sylvester Stallone franchise, right? I'm joking. I don't think you are. No, not Um, really. Probably, if I had to guess... Something like Rocky Four, the one where we had him uh, fighting Russian uh, Drago, the Russian right. James Brown sang uh, on a concert stage in the middle of it. Uh, it's this all ringing here's a bell. Here's the thing, and I went back recently and watched the first Rocky, and was shocked at how much like amateurish, how much I Boy. didn't like it. Boy. But uh, Chris's, I will say, Chris's email address for anybody who would like <laughs> to send hate mail. All about will, the Dune book. I and will present at the, the end of the episode. And here's the thing. I will say, though, and I don't know what, what this is, what your news item is going to end up being. I did really like Creed with Michael okay, B. Jordan. Sure. And yeah. I liked Creed, too. With, uh, you know, and I appreciated yeah. um, Sylvester Stallone coming back for those movies. I think the thing is, it was such a dialed down version of what he had been in the original Rocky movies. It was an yeah. interesting way to reboot the thing. So I, I did, I did appreciate oh, well, this. Has nothing to do with the Creed movies. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. At all. Um, Sylvester Stallone, in case you're not aware, has made a director's cut of Rocky four. Okay. And that's the, so the first that one's the, Rocky, the second one, he comes back and wins against the second one. Was, he play he fights Apollo Creed and wins. And then Mr. T third, is the third one's one. Mr. T clever okay. lane. Okay. Fourth one is Drago, the Russian, okay. which Creed two de- dealt Creed with two dealt Rocky with four. Rocky four and that it was the son of Drago. Yes, I believe. So you and haven't Drago, seen Creed two. Oh yeah. I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and Drago was his yeah. trainer as well too. Right. Okay. 
yeah, I have absolutely no interest in seeing a director's cut of um, what's the guy? What's the actor that plays the Drago? I can't remember. Dolph Lundgren. Oh, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, I have I have no desire. No desire. No. Even if the retitled uh, director's cut version is actually named Rocky Four colon Rocky versus Drago, that still does nothing for you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, here, here's the news. You here, know, there are a lot of people that really like the Rocky films and what, what, what's, here's does it show a bunch more fight footage or something? Uh, or? I don't know. Uh, but here's the news item that, that was stemming this whole conversation. Sure, sure, sure. Um, is going to be debuting for a one night theatrical screening on November 11th. And then will be available on demand the day after hmm. to see the director's cut Sylvester Stallone's director's cut of Rocky four. So, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now, um, word is that the company Phantom Events that puts on all these big screenings, mm-hmm. uh, the one night November 11th event has already broken records for pre-sales. So people are going So just coming out to droves. general theaters. I believe it's for okay. one night in theaters. Okay. And then it's going to immediately the next day be available online for, for uh, purchase or sale. The fact, yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> um, Supposedly has 40 new minutes of never before seen footage. The theatrical screening will also include a behind the scenes look at the making of this director's oh, cut. Oh man, yeah. Uh, and select locations will have a live Q&A with Stallone. So what, what's your take, since we're on, we're on, what's your take mm-hmm. on the Rocky movies? Are you more of a fan than yeah, me? I yeah. Okay. I, I, I think they're, I think they're fun. Okay. And Rocky four was, Kind of a critical one for me growing up because, you know, I was really big into movies at that time. Okay. Living in rural North Carolina, we didn't get a lot of the more independent films or anything else. <laughs> sure. So basically when Rocky Four came to town, that was That was it. That was it. That was that was our life for like Have a Have you weeks. seen how many did you see after Rocky Four? Uh, none of them. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. None of them. Because okay. by the time the Rocky Alan jumped five, off the Rocky to Rocky by the time Rocky Five had come out, I had already moved on to college, okay. and I had gotten deep into every okay. other type of film. Got you. And really had no desire to go back. And, and there's see. Rocky. There was five, Rocky Five. And then there was Rocky Balboa. Balboa. Oh, it was Rocky Balboa. Okay. Rocky Five. Was there a Rocky Six? And then Rocky know. Balboa. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Now the Creed movies, I've seen both of those okay. and really like them. Okay. They they remind me a lot of what I liked in the original Rocky. Gotcha. For me, so uh, I'm curious. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I may one night have to pull down a streaming gonna, copy okay. of Rocky versus Drago, <laughs> otherwise known as Rocky Four. Okay. I, I may have to watch that. But you're not going to go to a theater to see it. No, no, okay. no I think I'm okay it's about that. It's not crazy time. <laughs> and yeah, I okay. think I'm fine waiting for it to be on a okay. uh, a, a rental downloadable stream format. Okay. But uh, I'm curious, still very very curious. Yeah, about how this is going to come together. Hmm. Uh, last news item I'll mention um, is uh, a trailer. Okay, we do like to occasionally play little clips from trailers and then talk about what this trailer may mean for the film. It's advertising. Um, so Disney, you're familiar with that company and its subsidiary company, Pixar. Uh, You've heard of both of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously CGI animated films, a rich history of those, um, have dabbled in sequels from time to time. I can think of monsters university was a sequel to monsters. Obviously toy story. You had three sequels off of that one. Um, 
Was that it, or was there another? There were four. Well, there were three sequels. Oh, three sequels, yeah, yeah. To the Toy original. Story, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Four, four movies total. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Right. But I don't know if they've ever... Well, I guess Monsters University was a prequel to Monsters, Inc. Because it told the story before Monsters, Inc. Right. Regardless, what I was trying to get to the, with this setup, Lightyear is coming out. And it is a prequel, uh, as from what I can tell, to the Toy Story franchise. And it is about Buzz Lightyear. Kind of an origin story of Buzz Lightyear as a character. Um, it's supposed to be releasing in June 2022. It says it's the presenting the definitive origin story of Buzz Lightyear, the hero who inspired the toy, introducing the legendary space ranger who would win generations of fans. So, and this is this is the theat- a theatrical release, right? You said June yes. 2022. Okay. Yes, original feature film release. It, yeah, that's that's gotcha. my understanding. Not just Disney Plus. Okay. Um, what I thought was Fascinating casting, perfect casting. Chris Evans is playing the voice of the original Lightyear. Now, keep in mind, this is the actual that original was, person. That was my confusion. Yeah, yeah. This is not the toy. The toy is based off of this character. See, that was my confusion. So um, I saw Chris Evans and I was like, wait, Tim Allen's Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Tim Allen is the toy. Right, 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 right. Tim Allen is the Buzz Lightyear toy. So the concept behind this trailer is that there was a real person? That's what they're saying. Okay, so then, okay, that's why. And I like Chris Evans. Yeah. But I just couldn't understand. I was like, wait, yeah. why is why is he doing the, the young version of it when there's just a toy? Like, they're giving him backstory, maybe the backstory behind the Buzz Lightyear toy and how he's a space ranger. And I'm like, okay, so, yeah, but then... I understood what they were doing, but no, you're saying it's it's like he's a real person. Yeah, it says this uh, presents the definitive origin story of Buzz Lightyear, the hero who inspired the toy. Okay, so that that is that is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I thought the trailer was really good. It is. Yeah, um, it uses David Bowie's David Life Bowie. on Mars uh, once again. Another David Bowie classic being used in a trailer. We already <laughs> had. Um, no, this is Starman. Starman. That from this one, Life on Mars was Licorice Pizza that right. they used. Okay, got to get my Bowie and I mean, trailer I like, music. I right. like David Bowie, and I guess I it's too. kind of an easy thing to fall back on it's, to do something. But hey, <laughs> it works, you know. Star, yeah, I mean, it's Starman. A, it's fit. a clever use, I yeah. think. You know, so yeah, yeah I, it didn't bother me. It was a little bit of those moments when you hear the song kick in, you're like, oh well, yeah, of course. <laughs> right. And then it's like, all right, I still wonder if there needs to be a moratorium on David Bowie, David Bowie trailer music at some point soon. Um, but yeah, I like the trailer. Do you want, you want to play a little clip of it? Sure. Yeah, let's play a little clip of Lightyear and we'll come back and kind of talk a little bit more about it. Okay, status. Booster. Go. Dancing. Go. Fido. Go. Guide. Go. Fly. Cabin pressurization is underway. As we prepare for ignition. Flight recorders are on. T minus five. Four.
Yeah, so that was the trailer for Lightyear. Um, I, has Pixar done a, a truly all-out science fiction movie? Not that I can recall. No. I mean, obviously, there's elements of sci-fi on some of their films, but sure. as far as a true sci-fi epic film, you know. Um, well, okay, WALL-E. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah WALL-E. Um, so that would be one, but that's not like, yeah, that's, dealing I, with lots of aliens. It's still all about Earth. It's more ground. It's a grounded and, reality yeah, just in the yeah. future. Right. Um, and Lightyear to me, the trailer kind of gives off a lot of, we're going to go the Star Wars, Star Trek, total just sci-fi fantasy route and just, you know, have fun with it. And uh, I, I think it looks beautiful. I think it's, uh, so you know, I'm now excited. that Alan gave me, you know, I talked to Alan about Giallo and like those influences. Alan gives me, so I sheds a light on that last night. So Alan sheds the light for me on the Lightyear trailer saying, no, it's not about the toy. And I'm like, yeah. oh, so it's the Eureka moment. Now watching that trailer, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And um, it would be really cool. I'm actually, I'm excited for this film. And I hope, I think it'd be really cool if it kind of spawns like actually a sequel. And it's like, this is, this is kind of what I was talking about with Dune. It's like, it's an original idea. And it's like, you know, but it's Buzz Lightyear, not about the toy, about a person. And they actually do like a space thing with like Pixar animation. Uh, they well that could. Would be, I mean, that would be cool. You know, if it makes enough money, if it they makes, certainly well, there's will. Always that. I, I, that's the vibe I was getting is I think I'd love to see Pixar actually create a kind of its and own I, science fiction world of films and I have a, from that character. And I have a guess of something, mm-hmm. um, which would be an interesting direction, which I think would be a good storyline for the first Lightyear film if it kind of takes a tack of Ender's Game. And that's all I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be a little too adult for a Pixar I know, I film. I see. I see. But if they take kind of an Ender's Game idea about mm-hmm. Buzz Lightyear, I'm like that could be. And then they actually make sequel. That could be. That could be kind of amazing. Right. So I'm excited. <laughs> that's not considered spoiler because we don't know. No, because we don't We're know. None of us have seen the film. But I do think the film, the trailer looks good. Yeah. Animation is incredible. And uh, I'm excited. And I like Chris Evans. I think he's. Oh, I do too. He's kind of got his role pegged on this. Yeah. So uh, it's perfect. Yeah. Good. Cool. All right. That is the news items I had to share with us. Well, today, you undersold but... the news item with the light year thing. Cause really? I think you, I think you really, better? I think that's, yeah. Uh, okay. I still feel like it was all pretty lightweight this week, <laughs> but it's okay. Speaking of lightweight, that's going to be my recommendation for this episode too. Um, this is our recommendation <laughs> part of the episode. This is where Chris and I both give a film as a recommendation that we feel like is worth checking out. Um, the only requirements is we do like for it to be something that's online or at least able that you could rent or watch. Chris's looking panicky is his online. I, I'm going to just have to break the rules on that. Oh, okay. Chris is breaking the rules. <laughs> well, if I'd known that, I could break the rules with something else. <sighs> well, well, I, yeah. Do you want me to go first? Or do you yeah, want, let me okay. have you go first. And if I feel like you break the rules enough that I may break the rules too, because <laughs> I'm not. Have a better recommendation. I'm not terribly happy with my recommendation oh, okay. this episode. I have a reason for my recommendation. Oh, well, they, you know, hey. I have more of a soapbox comment to make with oh, my wow. recommendation. But okay. um, why don't you go first? Sure. What do you want to recommend for us this week? Sure. Um, so this film is not available online as I speak. Um, but by the time I, it may be coming shortly to online because it's, I think it's about done with its theatrical run. It's a movie that's still in theaters. Um, I'm going to recommend The Last Duel. 
It's the oh, one yeah. film of Ridley. You are cheating. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but it, it's it's the one film of Ridley Scott's that he's re- he's releasing two this year. We have um, the House of Gucci, which is coming up in November sometime, late November, I think. Um, but anyways, um, the last duel is uh, it's a period piece, which normally I'm not on board for period pieces. They kind of traditionally they kind of bore me. It's not a costume drama necessarily, but it's a period piece. It's medieval France, um, and it's about as the title implies. Um, a last duel based on a true story that actual happened, actually happened. You have Adam Driver and Matt Damon kind of going head to head because there is something that has happened. Basically, Matt uh, Matt Damon's character, which I'm not going to bother pronouncing his name because it's French and I would mm-hmm. butcher it. Um, but Matt Damon is married, and his wife is uh, raped by Adam Driver, or is she? And that's kind of this. The way the film is presented is what I really like because it's kind of like a medieval version of Rashomon, but instead of being directed by Akira Kurosawa, it's directed by um, Ridley Scott. And it has Ben Affleck as a, a he's a prince that mm-hmm. kind of is, he's buddy buddy with Adam Driver's character. And um, it has a lot of you know great acting in it, but it, the way it's told, there gets back to the whole Rashomon thing is that it's told from three different people's perspective. It does Adam Driver, or excuse me, Matt Damon's perspective as the husband. Mm -hmm. Then it does Adam Driver's perspective as the person who, you know, did this thing with the wife. And it was like, it lets you see his perspective, but then it closes, most importantly, it closes with uh, the actress who plays uh, Jodie Comer, Mm -hmm. the actress who plays um, Ben or Matt Damon's wife, and it gives her perspective and it's just like, okay. And it lets you see kind of the folly of men and, mm-hmm. you know, ego and everything. But it's, it's just a really, you know, it's, it's, it's really well shot, really well edited, really well acted, but letting you see the story through her eyes and the perspective, it's like, okay, you know, it's yeah. just, uh, it's just really, really, really good. Um, and, and powerful. And I, the, you know, when you retell, the same story three times you're thinking, yeah, by the time you get to the third one, you know, okay, what am I saying? Mm-hmm. But it is because it's the female perspective and you see, but you also, there's so much more than just that. I mean, yeah. a, she gives a good acting job, but it's just like, you know, things that happen in history and how they're portrayed and unfortunately in real life. And it's just like, okay. And the, the links that people are willing to go to. Um, so I really liked the last duel. I'm surprised that it is still in theaters, but I think it's probably going to be available online pretty soon because it's been out for a while. But um, I'm recommending it because I feel like, A, it's a really good movie, and B, it just, I don't know why, but it kind of just got lost. Um, I don't know if it's just because theaters are finally open and there's like a rush of new releases and just kind of, it should have had bigger fanfare. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's a really solid film. And this is the dude, Ridley Scott. He's the one who gave us Gladiator. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's this big epic scale film that people liked. And so it's just, it's, and this has stars, you know, a lot of movie stars in it. And, you know, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver. It's just weird to me that, yeah, it just totally flew under the radar. Yeah, I think it got lost. I don't think it was marketed terribly well. And, um, it got lost in the shuffle with some big releases that were coming out at the same time. 
I'm going to let your recommendation fly, Chris, <laughs> mainly because I think I do. I do think I have not seen the film, but I think it's important to people to go out and see it if they can. So your recommendation and it, and will it may still be in the theater. So if you feel safe going to the theater, um, you know, go see it there because it is it's I think it benefits from being on the big screen, too, yeah. because of how it's like sure. an epic scale type thing. But if not, worry not, because I think pretty soon it'll be, it'll be available online. Yeah, it should be so. available a little sooner. So, all right, that is The Last Duel, Ridley Scott's film. Um, he's got another one coming out, The House of Gucci, coming out, I think, in a few uh, holiday season here. So be curious to see with two films this year. I think people are already worried about House of Gucci just because Last Duel performed so poorly. Is that going to be a really bad year for Mr. Uh, Mr. Scott here? I don't know. So, yeah, it, it was released October 15th. So I think in the theaters. So I mm-hmm. think it should be coming online hopefully soon. Uh, what was released in theaters? Released in theaters October 15th. House of Gucci? No, Last Duel was. So I'm saying Last oh, okay. Duel was released October 15th. Just two weeks so I think ago. it's theatrical. All right. Yeah. Could be soon. Yeah. Oh, wait. That's not right, is it? No, that's about right. I think it came out two weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's in theaters barely now. So right. please go see Just it. Just because a lot of new releases. Have so. not uh, got to go see it. Okay. Well, I'm still going to stick with my original recommendation. Although, again, <laughs> I'm not terribly happy about it, but I, I have more of a message to stay with this. And oh, Chris, okay. this is going to summarize a little bit of, I think, what we were talking about in earlier our reviews as well. Uh, expectations. Okay. Ah. I think. I think right now. There's a lot of danger out there with uh, critics in early review expectations setting the mindset for people when they go in to watch a movie. Hmm. In other words, if early reviews come out or the online community gets uh, against a film early, oh. then it makes that film uh, almost almost dead in the water at times. And I do feel like people may go to see the film with the intent of, well, yeah, I heard this was bad, and of course, you're mentally going to think, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure this is bad, in my opinion. So, are you, are you, yeah, I'm curious because there are two films right now that are about to come out that we will review probably on this show, and they're getting some of that what you're talking about, the syndrome that you are talking about has yeah. happened to two of these films. Neither of those. Well, yeah, uh, I, yeah, it wouldn't be fair because you hadn't actually seen it. Seen so, that. how would you recommend? No, it? this is one where I, I stumbled across this movie because it just happened to be on. Okay. And I actually had a good time with it, okay. which I did not expect. And according to everybody's <laughs> reviews and letterbox reviews, nobody else had a good time with it. Oh, and wow. I wonder how much of it is just, I'm dying to know they went in, seen this people movie. go in with knives. Out. Yeah, you have, and okay. you were pretty low on it. Okay. Um, wow. And okay. Uh, I, I just don't know how much of it is people going with their knives out already sharpened when they go to see this movie and like, okay, well this movie has to be perfect or else I'm going <laughs> to skewer it on the reviews. Right. Um, all right, fine. Here I'm, we go. I can't wait. It is a movie I, I never watched because I never had any interest in it. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever been so excited to hear your recommendation <laughs> as I'm like, are you going to recommend The Mummy? No, I already okay. recommended that one time. <laughs> okay. So okay. I already did that. Okay. No, this is, uh, this is the last X-Men movie that came out. Oh. Dark Phoenix. See, that's the reaction we're talking about. Oh, dear. Um, I did not think this was that bad. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not saying it's good, but I okay. mean, come on. All the hatred the movie got when it came out, I think was just left over from people who were just tired of the franchise. Could be. And just exhaustion of it and wanting something different. And also, too, this was right in the midst of 
Fox, who produced these films, mm. had already been bought by Disney. So right. everybody knew that this this whole franchise was, was getting not abandoned. going to continue. Right, it was right, going right. to get dropped. And it, did it get pushed a couple of times? Start the release. I don't remember about Phoenix? that, but okay. uh, it was kind of a you know director Simon Kinberg, who I think he he's been a script writer for the films in the past, but not a director. So he got to stand, jump behind the camera to yeah. direct it. You know what? It's fine. It's 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 <laughs> fine. It's it's. I thought it was fairly entertaining. I had a good time with it. Hmm. Um, it was oh, kind of just like a one-off story. Uh, you don't have to know too, too much about the whole history of these people to really get something out of it. You know, if you're a fan of the whole X-Men series, the original, the older ones, the ones that were really good, right. this one, you know, doesn't get back up to that level. But I mean, it's still not that bad. I, I, I love the cast. That's okay. the thing I think for me is... Well, the, I think the yeah. casting they did in the last few of those X-Men films with Michael Fassbender, Fassbender right, as right. Magneto, with James McAvoy as Professor X, perfect. Right. I love their casting in this. And both of them were good in this movie. Um, Sophie Turner plays Jean Grey, kind of the lead in this film. She's really good in that role. Uh, Ty Sheridan, Nicholas Hout, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, you know, these are these are really good performers. And they all, I mean, with the exception of Jennifer Lawrence... Her, I could kind of tell she was done with this movie. She was ready to be out of there. I think that's my problem is the whole time I was, I was so focused on that, that it was just like, yeah. Yeah. See, I think that's, again, I think that's part of the issue with online reviews and online chatter is we kind of get our mentally set to like or not like a film. Now I'm not saying this is a good film. I'm not saying this <laughs> sure. is like one that, you know, I'm going to go back and revisit or I want a bunch of people to go see, but I just know it got a lot of hate and I'm just like, all right, can we all step back a little bit and just <laughs> watch a film for its own merits? I like the fact that this film jumps right into its plot within the first 10 minutes. True. Um, if being a comic book reader like me, I know the history of the X-Men and yes, there was been periods of time where the X-Men were heroes. People actually, you know, in the comics, they were heroes. People loved the X-Men. They had signs up and would greet them at places, but that wasn't a very long lived period of time. Here, this movie starts where they are kind of seen as these big celebrity heroes, which I thought was kind of fun. Hmm. And then they did lose that because Jean Grey takes on the the Phoenix Force and becomes a, 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 a source of destruction. So obviously the world turns against the X-Men again, which again, sure. that's a very comic-rich her- heritage history thing there. So uh, I thought the movie was okay. <laughs> okay. I I liked it better than the one before, which I think was Apocalypse. That, that was one, okay. That one was bad. Okay. I will. Yeah. Was it better than Apocalypse? I would say probably yes. So I'll have to look at my letterbox ratings, mm-hmm. but yeah. And I okay. think I might've enjoyed it even a little more than like days of future past and a couple others, but I oh, know I really liked that one. Yeah, no, that <laughs> so, was good. The first class I thought was really good sure, because it introduced all new character uh, version of these characters. So, right. You know, I, I hate that it went out with all the drama and the, uh, lack of fanfare that it did, but I actually thought this movie was pretty good. I mean, well, good. It was okay. <laughs> sure. I'm going to say it was okay. So it's a very muted re- uh, recommendation, but I'm saying if you liked some of the original Brian Singer X-Men films, I think there's enough here to find enjoyable and they retell this dark Phoenix story a whole much better than they did. The first time they tried it on X-Men, the last stand, which was the third movie, they tried to do the whole dark Phoenix thing and that didn't work. Didn't, didn't do this it. was a much better take on it. And I just liked all the 
all the actors involved for the most part. So, okay. all right. So that's fair enough. X Men: Dark Phoenix. Really, Chris, it's the only thing I've watched in the last two weeks <laughs> that wasn't something we were going to talk about on the show. Got you. So okay, I kind of had to turn it into my recommendation. <laughs> but fair I will enough. stand by my opinions on it. Well, and I think just to, um, I mean, you'll hear us review these films, hopefully. Um, the two films that um, I kind of alluded to that are coming out um, that have not come out yet, that already reaction has started to flame up on the internet, which, you know, that's what the internet does uh, for Eternals. And uh, to a lesser extent, because it's, you know, an independent film that people don't care that much about. It's not a Marvel film. Um, The French Dispatch. I've heard. So it'll be interesting to see how Alan and I take with those movies because critical stuff has already come out about those, even though they haven't been released commercially yet, but festivals and stuff like that. Um, It'll be, it'll be interesting. I still say the best thing to do is to go in assuming you're going to hate the movie. (laughs) Just go in assuming Yep. Anything I read online, people hating it, that is that is definitely where I'm going to be. And just come in. Uh, well, no, not even that, because I think that actually goes against what I was saying. I think there's a lot of people that if you go in with negative expectations, you look for the negative things in the film to harp on. I, you got to go in with a clean slate. Best as possible. Go in, just, you know, go in to be entertained in the sure. film. Don't go in with preconceived notions of whether this is going to be a bad film or you're going to absolutely love it. It's going to be a classic because you're either going to be disappointed or you're going to fuel a lot of hate that doesn't really need to be there. So, all right. That's our little helpful Fair lesson enough. for the episode A little bit of a, so, a good, a good a soapbox. soapbox. You know, try yeah. to have a clean slate. Sure. I think so. All right, Chris. Well, I think we are done for today. Our reviews of Dune, our review of Last Night in Soho. Uh, we talked over some movie news. We talked about the Lightyear trailer uh, for Pixar, and then we finished up with our recommendations. The Last Duel by Chris in theaters now. Please go see. And then me, uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix um, <laughs> on Disney Plus for free there if you, you have Disney Plus. Free. So again, another free way to spend free. a couple hours. Sure. All right. Uh, with that, Chris, if anybody wants to uh, compliment me on my recommendation or uh, talk to us at all about our reviews earlier in the film, how can they get a hold of us? So you can compliment Alan about uh, recommending Dark Phoenix or send hate mail to me about uh, not liking the Dune novel <laughs> or the Rocky franchise. Yeah. Uh, you can send email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and sometimes leave short reviews or star ratings of films. And um, give us a star rating, speaking of stars, uh, write a review or share with friends on iTunes. It'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. We're also available on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast, as well as our episodes are on TheMesh.TV. That's a podcast network that we're part of where you can not only listen to our podcast, but bunches of other podcasts or comedy podcasts. There's just business podcasts on there. Lots of stuff. Um, and last but not least, I will mention that the foot candle film festival is now open for submissions for the 2022 film festival. Um, we always open up in November. This one's no exception. So, uh, if you're a script writer or if you're a filmmaker, um, director or whatever that wants to submit your film, you can do so by just going to film freeway. And if you do so now you're in the early bird period, so you can save a little money. All right. Good deal. Lots of uh, ways to connect with us and contact us. So we hope to hear from you in the future. But until then, we hope you'll uh, listen in for the next episode we release. We'll be talking about a couple other new films and some sharing some news and recommendations again. So for Foot Candle Films, 
the Foot Candle Films Podcast, the Foot Candle Film Society, Foot Candle Film Festival. I'm Alan Jackson. This is Chris Fry. And thanks a lot for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.